everyone, my name is Aggie and this is Biohacking Bestie. The one-stop shop for a modern queen where you can find biohacking courses, self-growth courses, and where you can find the most incredible community of women so you can hit all of your biohacking goals and beyond. Welcome, beautiful humans, to another episode of Biohacking Bestie. And today we are hosting Terry Cole. And I was going to name all the amazing accomplishments that you have done. But the true reason why you're here on the show is because your energy. And the moment I, I came across your profile on social media, I was like, wow, this woman is everything I want to be. <laughs> because, yeah, like your heart and your mind make me feel safe. Like there is this beautiful integrity and this beautiful energy that I feel truly inspired. And regardless of what you do for work, I just, I'm curious. I'm like, what are you drinking, right? Like, what is it? (laughs) What are you practicing to have so much of the life force energy while also feeling like you're unfuckable with? Mm -hmm. Well, right there. Boundaries. Well, that's one thing that I think that is really important that we have are so important. I wrote a book and I actually wrote a workbook too, because so many women in particular in my sphere, my life, my psychotherapy practice, were so confused about what even a boundary is. What are, what are they allowed to feel? What are they allowed to, to want in their lives? And I feel like there is so much information, Aggie, out there that is so confusing and not accurate. And there's yeah. a lot of people sort of using like, this is my boundary. When really it's not, it's like a lever to control someone else. Oh, I love that. Right? Especially toxic people, right? Yeah, oh yeah. They use their way to manipulate it. I'd like to make a simple request that yes. you share with me everything <laughs> that you know about boundaries. <laughs> I will, if we got enough time. But let, let's start <laughs> So with what did I just do? You just asserted yourself. Yeah, well, that's simple. Because the book is very, um, the work was very actionable. So you get those, yes. you get taught these little phrases that I just used, which is, I'd like to make a simple request that communicates your boundary in a non-aggressive way, which is not easy. It's something I can't do personally, but let's, let's learn. Uh, you you yeah. can learn. And, and you're absolutely right. These sentence stems or sentence starters, the reason there's a lot of them in the workbook is because people, that's the thing they tend to to struggle with the most, where they're like, I was right there. I was at my boss's desk. I was so going to say it. And then I just didn't have any words. Yeah. And I I turned around and left. Like, I I didn't do it, right? Because we don't, you know, grow up as young girls, especially as a girl. Like, you should be taught how to communicate your boundaries. Not only, you know, your emotional boundaries, your sexual boundaries. This would be something that you should be taught in school. You know, this is (laughs) how you communicate your personal space so you don't feel violated. So I think maybe just from the beginning, how do we know what a boundary is? And I guess how to recognize if something feels like a boundary violation, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Well, let's start with my definition of boundaries. I want you to think about your boundaries as your own personal rules of engagement. This is basically how we let other people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. And we can't expect them to guess because they're going to get it wrong. So your boundaries are made up of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, right? Mm -hmm. That's your non-negotiables. And it's not enough to just know what they are, which I promise you most people don't know what they are. You have to know what they are and then have the words and the capability to communicate them when you so choose. So that's that's a pretty big order. And we can first start by talking about why don't we know, right? Because it is important. I feel like my therapy clients for the past 25 years, a lot of them would be very 
mean to themselves about like, what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. Right? Like, I'm just a pushover. Am I just a, am I weak? Am I stupid? How am I in this kind of a relationship again? Why don't I know how to do this? And I'm like, okay, so let's start with the fact that nobody taught us, right? That That's the beginning is that nobody taught us. But as women, especially in the US, North America and Europe too, we were raised to be good girls. We were raised and praised to be self-abandoning codependents. This is what we got accolades for, right? Smile, be a good girl. Where's my happy girl? Turn that frown around. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all, right? This is early training. Yeah, it's brainwashing in a way, right? (laughs) And it's like being a nice girl is such a, especially there's so much, I always say that there's so much shame for men to cry, but for a woman to be angry or to like be assertive, it's like, oh, she's a bitch immediately. That's the more thing I hear. I'm like, I love being a bitch because it's just, if you don't know what to do with a woman, you're going to call her a bitch. Yep. Because all of a sudden she stands in her power and she's not going to be easy to manipulate. Right. Exactly. But don't feel bad. Like like what I always say to my clients and to people I'm teaching this to is you have nothing to feel bad about, right? We, we, can't, we can't fix what we don't know, but you can learn. So it might help if you think about boundaries, becoming fluent in boundaries, like becoming fluent in another language. Mm. You would not expect to be fluent because you really wanted to be. You would be like, oh, I need a book. I need a teacher. I need a coach. I need help. I need yeah. sentence starters. I need language. I need words. You can do it, though, because I've taught tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of women all around the world to do this. It is totally possible for you to change the way you relate. Mm -hmm. So let's start with understanding how you relate, right? So every one of us has a downloaded boundary blueprint. So the family of origin, the country, the culture, how your family was, how your society was, all of those things come together. And then your own personality is in there. And that dictates how you think it should be. So if you had, let's say you had a a maternal impactor or a mom who was a real people pleaser, you might grow up to be a people pleaser, right? Because you go, oh, I love my mom. I idolize my mom. I want to be like her. This is what being feminine is. It's taking care of all the other people. It's giving someone the shirt off your back, right? It's, It's all of those things. And we are celebrated, for being as self-sacrificing as possible. Yeah, and putting yourself last. Yes, but in reality, and you know this, and I know this, in reality, if we put ourselves last consistently, that shit is a one-way ticket to bitter land. Like you- (laughs) Bitter land, I love that. Right? Yes, yes, no, for sure. And how do we feel when we put ourselves last? All I know is that I don't know a single girlfriend that isn't resentful one way or another. And that's that, they're not going to say it straight into your face. They're just going to be passive aggressive, yep. resentful, on edge, uncomfortable. Their presence is going to make you feel unsafe in a way because you're like, whoa, where's this coming from? Mm-hmm. Why are you mad? Oh, I'm not. How are you? Fine. But the person is angry and you feel it. You're like, well, it does not seem fine. Yeah. All of this is so confusing. And so we... I'm sorry to stop you, but I'm very curious. So if I feel pissed and someone's asking me how I'm doing and what would be the the right thing to say? Hey, I'm really just upset a little bit. Are you mad at them? If you're you're mad at them or are you mad at something Sometimes I don't know, right? Like when you... (laughs) You know, I got to say, honestly, the beginning of my process of transforming myself in my 20s from a boundary disaster to a boundary boss, I would... the, The beginning of changing was recognizing that it was happening. 
So we're going to get into that because you had said before, how do you recognize when a boundary has been violated? So I would start to dial in. So let's just say I would start to feel aggravated and I didn't know why. Right. It's often that first step where you're like, oh, I feel like something's off, but I can't really place. Is it because what you just said or is it you're sitting too close to me and now I feel like it's, you know. Yeah, I feel I feel a boundary. I feel a physical boundary violation, but I wouldn't make myself wrong if I didn't know why. And if someone said is something wrong. I would say, you know, it is. I I don't know exactly what, but I feel kind of agitated right now. It's, it's a little weird. I'm Just not beautiful because there's no like self-betrayal. I think when you say I'm fine when you're not, there's this, when the words don't match how you feel, there's that level of self-betrayal of like why you're not telling the truth. Yeah. And who you're abandoning is you and the child within you. And that will only ever lead to an unsatisfying life. Yeah. Because nobody knows, right? She knows, though. The kid in you, she knows. And especially if we had childhood experiences of feeling undervalued or marginalized or ignored, or if you had abuse or you came from an addicted system, like all of that stuff gets kicked up when we continue to self-abandon. Because when you think about it, sometimes what we did in childhood to be safe, a lot of times... This nobody tells you how to do it. You just learn from the situation that you're yeah. in that if you have a parent who is addicted to alcohol, let's say, trust me, that you as a child of an alcoholic parent, they, it is not going to be about you. You learn early on, keep this person happy, especially if they can become violent or if they can become, you know, very um, verbally violent. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about your spelling test tomorrow. You're thinking about continuing to give them booze so that they're happy or to clean the house or whatever you're doing at yeah. seven years old. So what happens is we end up continuing this in our adult relationships. So we repeat what we do not repair, right? Wow, beautiful. So you become almost like hypervigilant to other people's emotions, which I think it's a little bit like that my dad would get very angry mm-hmm. and he was very explosive. Yep. Not aggressive, but explosive. Yep. So I think I've really adapted to feel like I'm always responsible for other people's feelings and emotions and I don't know, just seeing Michael sitting here and thinking, I would be made like, is he okay? You know, so the mm-hmm. part of me is just like, oh, I need to make him comfortable because his discomfort is making me uncomfortable yep. because deep down, I believe you made him uncomfortable because yeah. I would hear, and by the way, my parents are amazing. And yes. They were like the perfect cell contract to help me become who I needed to become. Mm-hmm. So uh, all, you know, sending them so much love. But I heard so many times in my life, you made dad angry yep. or you made me angry. Yeah. Instead of like, I'm an adult, I I'm responsible for my own emotions. Yep. I can't blame a six-year-old, you know, for making me angry. No, because a six-year-old did not make you angry. angry. Lack of self-emotional regulation in the adult who is explosive, of course, is what is going on there. Yeah. But again, a lot of us had parents, myself included, who it was a different time. Yeah. And they didn't have the skills so I came from a family system where nobody was allowed to be angry. Well, <laughs> so. I feel like I'm the opposite because when I'm yeah. um, having such an angry dad, I hate getting angry. So like I don't let myself get angry because when I do, I immediately go into so much shame and guilt that it blocks me that I can't move the energy through because the only time I experienced anger was directed at me instead of having, you know, an anger station like I do right now, which is like when I get angry, it's like letting the energy move through me. Sure. Oh, yeah, it, to- it totally makes sense. But here's the thing. No matter what the forbidden emotion was or the emotion that was too much in childhood, it ends up leaving us, the children who then grow up, with a disordered relationship 
to that emotion. emotion. So because anger wasn't allowed in my family, I also could not, I was afraid to get angry, right? Yeah. Even though everyone was angry in my family, just nobody said anything. So it was okay to turn that anger. And I know a lot of my therapy clients have had this experience too, is that I could turn it into sadness. So crying, being upset was, that was an emotion that was acceptable. Yeah. But the problem is when you're crying really, but you're pissed, it's not satisfying. And you're not communicating that to the person in your life. So again, the, the feeling, we don't have the power as human beings to like stop the feelings because they're inconvenient or we don't like them. We try, you know, we try to numb, but it doesn't, doesn't really work. No, it doesn't. Because, you know, Freud had this sort of um, analogy that he talked about where your feelings, like human beings are like pop belly stoves and your feelings are like smoke. So the smoke goes up the flue. And if you stuff a whole bunch of, let's say, paper down there, if this is still lit and there's still smoke, will that paper stop the smoke? Hell no. The smoke will come out sideways. It'll come out every nook and cranny. Yeah. And so now when your emotions are coming out sideways, you really don't know what's going on. You yourself are like, why am I so enraged right now at this virtual stranger or at this person at a store or at my friend who did this thing that's not even that big of a deal? Like we will displace our aggression and not even know why, or we'll have some kind of a transference where we are responding in current time really fueled by unresolved stuff from the past. Mm. And we're like, no, but they really did the thing. If you get into therapy, you're like, nope, you know what? That was pretty, that was an amplified response by me because I still need, I have a father wound or a mother wound or whatever it is that I need to get to. So bringing it all the way back around to your boundaries. Now we've established what they are. We've established why we have no freaking idea how to set them or express them. So now what do we do? Right. Anybody watching, anybody listening, where, first of all, let me just say, wherever you are, you're in exactly the right place. So there's no regrets about what you should have learned sooner, what you didn't know, no matter what age you are, because you are here now and you can learn now and it will uplevel the quality of your life so much to do it now, no matter where you are in your life. Yeah. So let's start with being able to say no. And I guess I love you. I just, just to go back, it's like so beautiful that you said that there is no firm rules of what boundaries are. It isn't like, hey, 30 centimeters is okay for personal space. No, this can be too close if that's what your boundary is. So stop judging yourself. And I think you mentioned in the books, there's no right or wrong about boundaries. Whatever makes you feel uncomfortable, makes you feel like, mm, this is this is not good. And then now that whatever the boundary is, how do we communicate it in a non-aggressive way? Because from my experience, like I shared with you earlier, I get to a point where my communication of boundaries <laughs> sounds a little aggressive because I guess I waited for too long and I don't know how to communicate it in a way that's that's kind. I just want to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, but, but you're, Aggie, that's so common though, I have to say. And I guarantee you, tons of people watching and listening are like, oh my God, me too. We wait too long and then you just explode like a volcano and there's no controlling it because at that point it's now happening to you, right? It has a hold of you. You don't, you are not self, there's not self-control there. It's just coming out. The reason why I always say let's set boundaries early and often is so that we don't get to that point. And, and we learn to stop ignoring the wisdom of our bodies right? When you feel that irritation, because telling someone you're feeling irritated, as long as you're not blaming them, right? If you're not, you might feel irritated and it might have nothing to do with them, but it's also okay to say, 
I'm feeling bothered right now. And I don't know, right? Yeah. I don't know exactly yeah. why, but I'm feeling bothered. Yeah. And I love that you actually, in the book as well, you say that you can buy yourself time until you know what the right answer is. So you don't have to say, for example, hey, do you want to come on Friday? So let's just do that. You know, we're meeting with a friend and you feel like you're the kind of person that constantly overcommits. Mm-hmm. And I ask you, hey, Terry, do you want to come for dinner on Friday night? You know, I actually have to check with Vic to see. I need to look at what my calendar looks like. I need to like literally. So can I let, I'm going to let you know tomorrow or in two days from now. I can let you know Wednesday. Which is you just bought yourself some time yes. to say no. If saying no right away is too hard. Exactly. And so what we're really doing is we are completely stopping the Insta yes. Yes. I love that you say that. Yep. So what's the Insta yes, is that, which is a people's pleaser. So yeah. <laughs> number one thing to do to say, um, why not? Yep. Because at that point, you feel like I can't think of a reason why I don't want to do it. But in reality, I'm just like, just because I'm, I don't have anything else planned for Friday doesn't mean I want to hang out with you. Correct. And here's the thing. You don't need a reason any better than I may not fucking feel like it. Like I may not want to. How about I don't want to? I, I'm not rude. I wouldn't say that to my friend. But if in my heart, my gut is like, you've worked so much all week, you've been traveling, you're exhausted, and your vibe is, I don't want to. I want to be home. I want to take a tub. I want to be with my husband. I want to whatever. That, we need to honor our, Mm. I do not want to. It just doesn't feel right. And I think in my spiritual, not spiritual journey, it's something that I work with my therapist because I felt like I need to have such a valid excuse, you know, for for me not being able to come on Friday. I'm so sorry, but the president of Venezuela is coming (laughs) and I really can't do it because if I don't have a good enough reason that feels really big, it's almost like I have to say yes. Instead, she's like, why don't you just say you don't have to go just because you don't feel like it. Yes. And I'm like, really? I can just like do that? And she's like, yeah, but because, you know, as little kids, you don't want to do something and your parents kind of like make you override that gut instinct. It's mm-hmm. like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's yep. celebrated in today's society. Sometimes you just have to do things even if you don't feel like it, which I get. Discipline is great. But there is also like we every single day are being trained to disconnect ourselves from our intuition mm-hmm. and gut feeling. Or like just doesn't feel right. Yeah. And you don't need to write a dissertation on your no. So be really aware that the more you feel compelled to give the- Over-explain yourself. To over-explain, the more people feel like they have a right to be like, well, I don't even know if that's true or I'm going to, well, why don't you just come for a little while? I'm so incredibly clear about what I will and will not do. And and even with people I love, I'll say, I'm really too tired but I really want to see you. I want to see you too, but not on Friday night because I'm tired and I just want to be home with Vic. So how does over-explaining look like? What's the difference between over-explaining and actually just um, justifying your decision? Now, let's actually talk about the difference between over-explaining, justifying, and providing context because that's the healthy Ooh, okay, one. Yeah, yeah. That's the healthy one. So over-explaining is being like, oh, you know, I, I haven't had a break in a long time and I'm really tired. And I know you're the one who's always telling me that I should that I should rest when I'm tired. And so I'm taking your advice by not coming. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's too, too many to stop. Yeah, you're like that. tired. You're like, okay, I, I'm, yeah, I get it. Yeah, you're like, okay, please. And also justifying is very similar to that. It's like, you know, I've worked all week and the last time you asked me to do something, I did it. And I really feel like this time, you know, Again, justifying it. Like, like I don't have to do it. And I Justifying want- feels shit, by the way. I felt justifying <laughs> no. my own emotions. Like, and I over-explain 
my, you know, justifying my point so much, which is like, I don't know, it's like some sort of like trauma response with not being taken seriously. So mm -hmm. I feel like I really need to have a good enough reason yeah. to just say yes or no. But you don't. And part of it is remember, keep it in your back pocket, which is that everything you do in this life is voluntary. Every relationship, including your family, except minor children. If you decide to have children until they're 18, that you have committed to that. But I'll tell you right now, this is voluntary. All these relationships. So I have so many clients who are like, oh, I have to invite my third cousin twice removed to my bachelorette party, even though I don't like her and she's a drunk. And I'm like, dude, you literally don't. My mother's going to be mad. She'll get over it. Like, oh, I love that. Right? Like, I mean, I'm getting married next year. Ooh. Oh, yeah. And that... We you can just do a therapy session on that because it's just like, I was like, we'll have a small wedding, just the closest people. And then everyone's just like, oh, the date, not that date, by the way. Oh, no, that date doesn't work for me. And also, are you inviting that person? Because now that we're inviting him, you should invite them. What about the cousins? You know, etc. It's just never ending. I'm like, wow, I feel like I need like a wedding doula, someone who can help me. <laughs> you do. Right? It's, it should be like a specifically designed person that like help you not get too crazy. Because I think you, you become a bride, bridezilla. Is that what you call it? Yeah. Because yeah. it really brings up all the emotions for in everybody. Right. And, but you're really not becoming a bridezilla. It's, it's having boundaries where you say, hey, and your guy is Jason? Uh, Jacob. Jacob. So Jacob and I are deciding, we love you guys, and we are deciding what's what. So what I would love from you is your support in that. I will take into consideration, especially culturally, there may be some family considerations that you'll yeah. have to do because of, you know, but really getting clear, like, I love you guys. And what really matters to me is what Jacob and I, what our vision is. And yes, we want our loved ones there, but I might want a small wedding, mom, dad, whoever. Yeah. And if you want to have a different party, if you well, we can have a bigger party at another point, like it's got to be what you want it to be, because if not, you end up what one way ticket to Bitterland. Yeah. It's your day, you know. So, let's so what go. would be the great sentence to say to your parents? I mean, our parents have been amazing so far, but what would be like a kind way to communicate it? And what would be an aggressive way to communicate it? All right. It? Before we do that. So hold it. Yeah. We have to talk about context because I said I was going oh, to and right. I didn't. Yeah. So I'm going to. Providing context means giving a little bit more information so that you're not misunderstood by people that you care about. So if I, my friend asked me to go see her stand-up show on Wednesday night, starts at 10, but I have a big presentation on Thursday, I have to say no because mm -hmm. I have to get up. I say to her, hey, I have something happening on Thursday. I'm not justifying it to my friend. I'm telling her because I love her and I want her to know mm -hmm. that if I didn't have an early morning presentation, I would be at her thing. I, maybe I sent her flowers. Maybe I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, instead of like, I'm sorry, I'm not coming. Yeah. Right. Cause then it's like cold. Yeah. And she's like, why? So even, and even with my husband, right. Or, or my sisters, these are people I super value and I love. I want them to understand if I can't acquiesce to what they're asking me to do, usually it's because I have a good reason. Mm -hmm. I want to share that with them. So they don't think I'm just like, I don't feel like it. Cause they, yeah. like you said, that's cold and not loving. All right. So there's that. Providing context is something that you do when you want to be more accurately understood, which is different than justifying. Because providing context, again, it's on your side of the street. You're sharing with them why you came to the decision that you did, which is different than like proving to them you have a right yeah, to make like that decision. Yeah, you convince them of what, yeah. Yeah. So if I said, for example, your mom and dad, it's not the issue with my parents, yeah. but just use them as an example. Yeah. I'm so sorry, but we won't be inviting cousins only because 
I want to stand at the altar and and recognize everyone I see around my friends and feel like it can be truly vulnerable and honest. And I wouldn't do it in the front of a lot of people. I just really want to make sure it's the closest people that can hold space for me. Okay, so I would let let's break that down. We're not starting with I'm sorry. Okay, definitely not. We're starting with when do we use sorry? What do we apologize when for? you're actually sorry? You're not sorry. See, here's the thing. That's sorry. Like that is using apology as like social KY jelly. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I love it. You crushed me. Like, <laughs> right. We don't need it because you're not actually sorry. You are afraid they'll be disappointed. You don't want them to be mad at you. You don't want to be rejected. I understand all these emotions, but the truth is that it's your day with your person. And yes, you want them there. You love them. You can provoke... To provide context, let's talk about the difference. Yeah. To provide context, you could say, I love that you guys are so into the wedding. I so appreciate the support and the excitement and the enthusiasm. It just really makes me feel loved. So I want to start by just saying that. We can always start a boundary request or delivering news with sweetness. Isn't it called the sandwich when you start with something good, put the shitty part inside and then finish with something good? <laughs> to a degree. I, I think it's true. It's kind of like a bad news sandwich. <laughs> But, yeah. <laughs> but it makes it more palatable. Yeah. But it's also true because you do it is love true. your folks and you are happy yeah. that they're happy and they, they want to support you. So you say, just, I love the support and I appreciate it. And Jacob and I have decided that we're keeping the guest list small because our bowers are going to be very intimate. And this is what we've imagined for ourselves. So I will let the family know who is invited and who isn't. And it is our decision to make. And I so appreciate your support in what I've decided for this big day in my life. Beautiful. I think so many brides could relate to this and even write it down because whenever I posted about, you know, love to be coached through this process, so many girl messages like, oh my God, this was one of the most challenging experiences of my life because we entered the new family hoping to be the perfect girl, right? The, you know, the chosen, you know, I'm going to prove to you that I can be perfect. And all of a sudden you're forced to have a boundary. And mm -hmm. there is this misunderstanding that boundaries will make people like us less, mm -hmm. which is something that you debunk in the book as well. We do. Because let's think about it right now. You know who your people pleaser friends are. Do you? Yes. Yes. You do know. I take advantage of it sometimes? Probably. Probably. So does everybody. That's <laughs> not mean, just yeah. you, sister. <laughs> so yeah. does everyone in their life. They're a peacekeeper. They're a pushover. They're, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when you are a people pleaser, you are actually not emotionally trustworthy. Ooh. Because you might say yes when you really want to say no. So I have friends, and actually one of, one of my, one of my um, kids can, can be this way too. And what happens is people don't, can't count on you. So I say, oh, I, I talked to Vanessa, and she said she's definitely coming on the 17th. And my husband will say, definitely? I was like, yeah. He's like, that means maybe there's a 50% chance to be here. And I go, yeah. Like, we know. So first yeah. of all, it's the worst kept secret going because everyone knows. So yeah. you think you, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but what you're doing is you actually become someone who doesn't keep their word yeah. because you're so committed to people pleasing in the moment, which is a short game and truth telling. Now this, this is the long game. This is the game we do for life, which is how people know us. Because here's the thing. The most important part of all of this is that if I say to you, Aggie, yes, I'm going to do that, even though I really want to say no and I do it with resentment or I don't tell you why, if I continually don't assert my boundaries, my preferences, my limits, my deal breakers, you 
don't know me. Ooh, I mean, so true. Right? Hi, everyone. If you have been with me on my health journey, you know I'm always diving into latest and wellness, especially when it comes to fortifying my gut health, reviving my metabolism, and unlocking that radiant skin and hair glow. And guess what? I found something extraordinary. Armra colostrum. Have you ever heard of it? Well, this isn't your ordinary health food. Armra colostrum is this incredible health food that's been a game changer for me. First of, did you know that colostrum is our very first source of nutrition in life? Imagine harnessing that raw primer powder daily. Armra packs 400 bioactive nutrients to fuel cellular health and grant a plethora of research-backed benefits. Since I started using Armra, I've genuinely noticed reduced facial buffiness and there is this undeniable shine to my skin. And let me just say, my workouts so much better. I feel stronger, recover faster, and overall feel more vibrant. But what really hooked me is the sustainability and integrity behind Armra. It's sourced from grass-fed cows in the US and using a revolutionary cold chain biopotent technology, which by the way, makes Armra stand apart, ensuring the highest potency of the colostrum available. If you worry about quality, trust me, Amra's got you covered. They're serious about purity, ever going as far as being certified glyphosate free. So if you are curious about elevating your health regimen or just need a boost in stamina, skin radiance, gut health, I've got a little treat for you exclusively for you, my dear listeners. Get a special 15% off your first order. Just go to Try Armra. That is T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-I dot com slash Aggie or simply use the code Aggie at checkout and let me know how you go. Come to my Instagram and just let me know what you think so we can armor together. Like I feel like there is this like and your friendship can't go as deep because I can't go deep and I can't open to somebody who I don't really know. No. They're also it's funny. In in uh, Boundary Boss, the, the book I tell the story about, I invited one of my friends. I was going to like a yoga retreat in Guatemala. And I was like, hey, man, do you want to go with me to this thing? And she was like, nah, nah I, I hate Guatemala. I hate, I hate hot weather. Nah, have a great time. She's a friend who I can trust. She didn't do a whole song and dance about, I hope you don't take it personal. I, she knows I'm not going to take it personally because it's not personal. She doesn't like hot weather. That wouldn't be a good vacation for her. <laughs> Bye-bye. I don't need... 44 emails back and forth about nothing, but that's a friend I can go to. And I know that, and even if I ask her hard things, like, would you watch this thing for me? And do you think blah, blah, blah? She'll tell me, I got to say, this was really good. And I think this part was a little unclear. I trust her though. She'll tell me the truth. I don't need someone blowing sunshine out my ass like that. To me, that's not friendship, right? Friendship is not critical. Not the friends who are like, oh, you bet I'll tell you the truth. But really, you feel like they're just using the truth as a baseball bat to bash you in the face with. Not those people. I mean, people you can trust. So I think it's why boundaries are so important. And I can tell you, I've seen this in my practice. Sometimes women will come to me in their sixth or seventh decade of life where they've done everything right. They've checked every box. How exhausted are they? Well, you know what they are? They're perplexed and they're unsatisfied. And they're like, kids went to Ivy's, got money in the bank. I sit on these boards. I like my husband. I play pickleball or whatever. You know, they're in good physical shape. They have friends. Why? They're literally like, "Uh, hello, is this all there is? Just curious. Why does it feel so empty? And it's because you built your whole life on checking boxes that other people constructed and you self-abandoned so Mm -hmm. long, nobody 
knows you, not even your closest people. And it is an existential crisis if you go that long in life where yeah. you're self-sacrificing, all for like the taking one for the team, right? Again, not wanting to make waves, don't like conflict, don't want people to be mad. But yeah. it's really important that people know you and your boundaries, right? Preferences, desires, limits, deal breakers. They're not just your boundaries. They're also the things that make you uniquely you. And I think for as a um, partner as well, I think especially for women, having a partner that has boundaries makes us feel safe. And there's this saying, nice girls, nice boys finish last or something. It's because mm -hmm. they don't have boundaries and men without boundaries don't make you feel safe because it feels like someone can show up. You can ask them, hey, can you come and help, you know, some a stranger can come in and, and kind of like enter their relationship because they're going to always try to please everyone and everybody, mm -hmm. which yeah. is not possible. So I think it works both way. As a woman, of course, you want to have boundaries. You feel like you can trust yourself as well and you can set up for yourself. But also, how do we encourage boundaries in our partner? What happens if you're dating or you're married to a, a nice guy or, or a man without boundaries? It depends on how much of a boundary bully you are because you might have found someone who has disordered, or we call them porous boundaries, like they're too malleable. Yeah. I Me. think it's both, right? Like the question is, why did you attract a person like that? What, what are you, how are you benefiting from that your partner not having boundaries and are you ready to, ready to let go, right? Yes. And I also, I see it a lot the other way too, where well, really we can't talk about this without bringing in codependency. Yeah, and let's, let's please explain what that means because yes. I think it's it's a big one. And it drives me crazy because as an influencer, I feel like Instagram and Disney and Hollywood movies are the source of codependency and examples <laughs> totally. of what you're not supposed to have a relationship. And it's incredible that number one posts that you see on Instagram are, you know, I can't live without you. You're everything to me. I would do every, anything for you, da-da-da-da. Mm -hmm. So please explain. Yes. Well, what is codependency, right? So according to me, codependency is when you're overly invested in the feelings, outcomes, decisions, relationships, circumstances of the people in your life, like you're overly invested to the detriment of your own internal peace. Mm -hmm. So you're really preoccupied. So if something bad happens to your best friend, that shit feels like it happened to you. You are immediately like Googling solutions, finding things, getting in your car, right? It, it's someone you care about has a crisis. How quickly does that crisis become your crisis? Yours? And how quickly, how often are you auto advice giving to people? Oh, interesting. Because that's like, where is the line between empathy and codependency, right? Like It's you... control. That's the line. Oh. Because codependency is an overt or covert bid to control the outcomes of other people. Wow. So empathy, I'm not telling you what to do. Empathy, I'm with you in the foxhole of pain. I'm here. You say, I'm in this terrible situation at work. And I go, what do you think you should do? And you go, I don't know. What do you think you, I should do? I'm like, I have no idea but I'm here with you. I'll brainstorm with you. If you did know what you should do, what would it be? Like there's all different yeah. sort of therapeutic ways that we try to get in there because sometimes the answer will come. But with codependency, and my next book I'm writing right now is on high functioning codependency, Ooh. which is just you and everyone I've ever known, where we're so highly capable that people don't see it as codependency, right? We're not, I would say to my clients, oh, what you're describing is codependency. They're like, hell no, lady. No, it's not. You're thinking of someone else because I make all the money. 
I'm doing all the things. Everyone counts on me. Because I think the idea is that codependency is where you don't have money or you're not making your own money and you rely on your partner to do X, Y, and Z, right? Yes. Or you're involved with an addict, right? So much mm -hmm. of the time, codependency originally really was very much around 12-step and addiction mm -hmm. stuff. And, and that's true, too. So if we look at Codependent No More, Melody Beatty's seminal text about codependency, so much of it had to do with women in particular being in romantic relationships with folks who have addiction issues, whether mm -hmm. it's debting, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol. And so there was this enabling aspect. But as high-functioning codependents, we do our own enabling, where A, we don't let anyone do anything for us. We have this hyper-independence mm, where people want to help. I feel seen. <laughs> Say it again. I, I, I feel seen, but I'm, I'm, I'm healing. <laughs> I feel called out. Is yeah, more yeah, like yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. <laughs> totally. Where we're like, I call it the I got it disease. I got a disease, yeah. You're just like, I'm good. I, I wouldn't even let like the cab driver lift my huge bag into, you know what I mean? The guy's getting out of the cab. I'm like, I got it, don't worry about it. Like, why? <laughs> why am I not letting people help me? And that was always the same way. And I feel like this is with my clients as well. Wow. And it's a boundary issue, right? Codependency is a boundary issue. I am on the, if I am trying to control what you're doing, if you're, if you're in a, in a pickle and I'm like, I know exactly what you should do. And I have someone I can connect you to. And here's a resource. Here's a book. Here's a phone number. Here's a thing. I'm doing that for me. Your discomfort, your pain, your distress is making me very uncomfortable. So I would like to quickly fix that so I could go back to feeling good. Mm. And we often can't hold someone's sadness because we can't hold ours. And there's so many unprocessed emotions that we're carrying that your sadness brings up mine. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to go there. You have mm -hmm. no idea. I just spend years hiding from sadness. Don't make me go there. Right. right? So we're like, no, uncomfortable. And I think it's so funny. I, I think it's, um, it's a beautiful way. The difference between my conscious, and I don't want to divide people between conscious and unconscious, but definitely it's like some of them that say, oh my God, don't cry, don't cry. Right? To them, like, fuck, sucks. All right, let's do it. You yeah. know, I'm here. Cry. Yeah. It's normal. And I'm not afraid. Like, what is more loving than being like, this sucks and I'm right here. How can I best support you? What do you need? I'm not going anywhere. That is love. Yeah. And sort of stop crying. And you feel like, oh, there's another to-do list. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> right. It also is so painful. Like, why stop crying? But, but you're right. This is, this is usually the feeling. And listen, so many of us, we're lovers, right? I don't want you to be in pain. I don't want you to be in pain. I want my husband to be in pain. And yet, I, through the many years of therapy and being a therapist for 25 years, I've really gotten how valuable it is to be able to hang with people where they are, except like with my husband, it took years to be like, he's not going to do it the way that I would do it. And he's a Pisces, like he's not gonna, he's just a mellow dude, super successful doing his thing. But the judgment I would have where I could always be like, well, that could be done more efficiently. Like my mother's like, Tara, just leave the guy alone. If he were like you, you wouldn't like him. And I was like, that's a really good point. Probably yeah. like, he's, and I think you know, women are very obsessed with the way the things have to be done, right? When it comes to children, when it comes to our house, it's not about getting things done. It's like, no, you need to do it right now in the way I do things, mm -hmm. right? Isn't that funny? Yeah. And and it's <laughs> so controlling, yeah. right? Again, and trying to control the things that we can. But part of it is, if we want more equity, like in at, in home, right? You know, there's a whole thing about emotional labor 
and how so much of the time women, we, we've really been the, the emotional laborers mm -hmm. in society forever. And what does that mean? It means keeping the, the ship of the family life going, keeping the ship of the relationship going. You know, the toilet paper doesn't buy itself. <laughs> the food doesn't just magically show up. The dentist appointments don't get done on their own. This is all remembering birthdays, the end of the year gifts mm -hmm. for the teachers, all the things that you got to do. Usually in, if we're saying like uh, traditional like gender roles. I think a lot, hopefully a lot of that is changing, but I still have many people in my, my crew who experience this. And again, this is also boundary issues, right? It's your boundaries in a way are being trampled on or you're trampling on the other person's sovereignty yeah. if you're doing it all, but then you're resentful. So it's very important to look at your partner, look at people in your life and ask them, how can I best support you? Like, what do they need? And to not just pick up the slack when it comes to your home stuff, when you, even planning your wedding, right? Like, yeah, and so how do you do that, right? Because obviously, I'm naturally the kind of person that would pick up the slack, oh, yeah. right? So I'm running my business, I'm, I'm doing my thing as well as at home, naturally, just because that's how I was brought up to, to pick up the slack. And then I feel overly overcommitted and stressed and then also resentful for towards Jacob for yeah. like, wait, you have time to spend a day on the beach, like... Somebody, you know, like, who's doing all of this? You uh -huh. know, I feel like it's at my expense. It is, but it's also at your choice. So, Which so, I'm learning, right? And it's like, it's control, right? It's like me trying to control everything. And how, in what way could I motivate or women can motivate? Someone's watching this like, oh, I feel like I'm left with, alone with all the kids appointments and dentists mm -hmm. and toilet paper. How can <laughs> I communicate my boundary right. with my husband so that he can help me feel less overwhelmed. Part of it is it's this is less of a boundary and it's more of a collaboration. Mm -hmm. Right? It's more saying the way that the woman who wrote about this in Marie Claire in 2017, she had this whole thing with her husband. They were both engineers, both highly capable, both making lots of money, and yet she was doing all the emotional labor. And it was a day that he was working from home and he texted her and said, "Hey, text the dog walker and say I don't need her." And she was like, why am I the only person who knows the dog walker's phone number? Like, yeah. why am I the only one? He's, I'm at work. He's at home. And he wants me to text her. So anyway, she, she does whatever she needs to do. And she decided when she got home, she was going to take a whiteboard when he was at work the next day, when she was working from home, and write down every single thing that she does. Literally every single thing that she does. Everything. And when he came in, and then she did a list of the things he does. There was like five things, and she had like a hundred, probably. And when she came in, she was like, hey, having this experience, I realized that it's really not equal. And I think it's not good for our relationship because I'm copying resentment about it. I'm overwhelmed. I'm burnt out. I'm exhausted. And I'm blaming you when really it's my fault too, because we're both, we both have agreed to this silently, mm -hmm. silent agreement, right? Nobody's talking about it. She's like, so I want you to pick half the things on this board and you will now be taking responsibility for them. And you won't just be doing them to like, tell me, oh, hey, mom, I did it. You'll be doing it from the beginning to the end. It is your job. Yeah. Beautiful. And, yeah. Amazing. Well, I think another thing I want to ask you about is talking about finances or boundaries in a relationship, because it's always like there's always someone who spends a little more, someone who likes to save money. And mm -hmm. how do we communicate the boundaries in a relationship when someone wants to borrow money from us? And how do we communicate those boundaries, you know, with with our partners? Mm -hmm. Well, money's tough. Money is never just about dollars and cents, sister, <laughs> which, you know, which is why you asked yeah. that. Because it's very loaded. It's yeah. a very culturally loaded topic. Many families, money is given or withheld to 
you know, say you're amazing or to punish you. Like there's all these things around money. So I say when it comes to lending money, I say just don't. That's my two cents. And I think it's okay to say, hey, it's not personal. It's just a policy. This is the way I protect my relationships. Beautiful. Like, no, it's always going bad. I'm sorry, but it is. There's just so many ways that that shit can go down wrong and really hurt your relationship. So my feeling is don't. This is, these money conversations are very important to have in the beginning of a relationship where you make decisions about, hey, we have different values financially. Like we have different ideas. We have different thoughts. Like you said, somewhat, maybe you're more, um, Jacob's more of a saver. Maybe you're more of a spender, whatever the, the thing is. The exact opposite. Of course. <laughs> I knew I knew it was the exact opposite. I was trying not to be <laughs> so, <laughs> so typical, but of course it is. <laughs> We've gotten better, but yeah, it was really frustrating in a way, right? Because it's like, it's, um, yeah, it's a very emotionally charged topic, right? But you have to talk about it. Um, my friend, Kate Northrup, wrote yeah, a book I love called Kate. I Love yeah. Kate. Money, a love story. And in that book, Money, a Love Story, she suggests that you do a money love date with your partner. And you actually sit down and together, you you really have to become fiscally fluent about what the money is. Some people you'll put your money together, some people you won't, but you have to know what the expectation is. What are you comfortable doing? How much money do you want to save? What are your goals? Do you, do you want to, I know you, I think you just got a, got a place in Bali, right? Yeah, yeah, You yeah. just bought a place, yeah. which is amazing, right? So again, this is, you know, you're financially doing great things, but you need to be on the same page of how do we continue doing great things is we talk about it and listen to what your partner says. Maybe they're like, okay, and sometimes I just want to have fun too, or I want to, you know, I want to splurge on something, but there has to be agreements about what it is. And you have to get into what is the meaning for you? Because we, you know, we all, the same way we have downloaded boundary blueprints, we have downloaded money blueprints yeah. too. And it's not about 50-50. I think this is clear that it's not about, you know, we're all, you spend $500 and I spend $500 and, you know, we're even Stevens. It's more like being on the same page, which is not always often possible. Well, but- it's, it's also about talking. Like in, in respect, I feel like with my husband and I, we've been together 25 years, I was telling you. If nobody is spending more than... $1,000 without having a conversation or $500, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's not that I need his approval. I don't. But I, I go, okay, well, we're planning this trip. And I also need to get a new laptop or whatever it is. I make sure. Like, do you have anything big coming up that you have to do? Like, what makes sense? So I feel like there's respect. Yeah. And I think, you know, with American Express, you set like this notification. If it's, you can pick $10, you can pick $500, $5,000. So if you go over that amount, you get notifications. Hey, just you set a reminder over a certain amount. I think this should be something like that in a relationship. What is the amount for our relationship that we feel like we should chat about? You know, mm-hmm. it's $3,000 or is it $300? Yeah. Which I think it's good to start a conversation. Like what, what is your boundary in general? And one more question. I have a couple more questions, but sure. next one is, you know, being ready to actually execute on your boundary, which is mm-hmm. a very hard one. I know a lot of girlfriends that stay in relationships that isn't, isn't serving them. And, you know, I'll tell them, um, if you do it one more time, I'm going to leave. Mm-hmm. And they're there five years later. Yep. So. Well, you can't, you can't <laughs> threaten, right? Because the, the thing with repeat offenders, right? So what you're talking about is 
someone who's in a relationship with someone who I think is a, like a boundary bully to a degree or a repeat offender where mm-hmm. you have, have a conversation that says, hey, this is a deal breaker for me, this behavior. So it, it, has, it has to be a no-go. And then they do the behavior again. When you set a boundary, especially with a repeat offender, at a certain point, you have to attach a consequence to the boundary, right? Because if there's no consequence, what exactly motivates that person, if they're kind of a boundary trampler to begin with, to stop their behavior? Especially what you taught them is it'll blow over, she'll get over it. Like mm-hmm. it, she'll be mad for like a week and then she's going to be fine, yeah. you know? So we don't want that. Like you, you have to get really clear. So how you approach the boundary is, you know the person, so you pick a good time to do it, right? If they're not a morning person, don't do it at 6 a.m., obviously. <laughs> and don't do it when you're in a fight. Like yeah. the thing is, it's difficult, but the most productive conversations we have is either after being physical that was lovely or having a nice dinner. Like it's when you're mad, this is when everyone is activated and can't wait to fight. So let's try not to do it then. So you pick the thing and then you decide what is it? What is the boundary that is needed? And is it a deal breaker? Because a lot of times women don't have this language. They're not explaining the, the level of pain it's causing them or the level of tolerance they don't have for the behavior. Like the other person doesn't really get that the relationship is in peril. Like yeah. this is really like happening. So, so how would you communicate that to me? So for example, I am spending way too much money. We're in a mm-hmm. relationship and I, you have set me down and you ask me not to spend money on traveling, but I'm, I keep on doing it, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm kind of ignoring you. Mm-hmm. And we just had a lovely dinner and how would you bring that up? Well, that's let, the one of the phrases. Yes. <laughs> let's establish though that we both make money, right? Yes. Right. Because that matters too. Because the conversation would be different if I had power over you because I had I made all the money and I had control of the money, that would be different, right? You spending that money, I could go, I'm literally- Cutting you off. Yes, I'm, I'm cutting up the credit card, right? There's ways that you can do it. But when you're in a relationship that's more mutual, it's talking about um, how you feel. So you can say, hey, we had this conversation two weeks ago and you said that you weren't gonna be you know, using the Amex for blah, 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 for first class tickets. And then you did it and you went to Vegas. And this is really a problem for me. And I'm to the point where it really feels like a deal breaker in the relationship. And I'm concerned. This is really impacting the way that I feel about you. So it's not that, it's not that I'm mad. It's that I'm worried. It's like my mom said, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. Oh, that's like brutal. <laughs> You're like, please be mad. Yes. <laughs> if I could choose, I'd rather you be mad than yeah. disappointed. <laughs> and then say, then you can go on and say, and... If it continues this way, I think I'm going to have to leave. If that's true for you, right? Mm-hmm. Like that that's an extreme thing. Usually when we start setting um, consequences, they're sort of more commensurate to what it is, right? So you, you picked kind of a, a really big thing. Mm-hmm. It can be something smaller than that. Let's say you have a teenager who, you know, goes out at, past their curfew. Mm-hmm. You would take away something that mattered to them. If you don't make your curfew tonight, you can't use the car to go to homecoming. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's got to be something that they'll feel, but not something that's like crazy punitive. Right. Because that, yeah. that doesn't make sense either. But we have to come up with something. So say an example is the person who's at home is gets the dinner ready and has said to this person, their, their partner, let me know if you're going to be late because then I, I won't heat anything up until I know you're actually going to be here. They keep not letting the person know normal or, or some kind of a consequence that would make sense is to say, if it happens again, I'm not heating up your food. I will eat without you. That will make me sad because I really like eating with you. But I can't be, yeah. it's, it feels so um, 
disrespectful that you said three times you would let me know. And it makes me feel so incredibly unimportant and it really hurts my feelings. And if it happens mm-hmm. again, I'm no longer making dinner for you. And again, I feel like that's the beginning of something not good for you and yeah. I. So let's talk about it. Beautiful. I love that boundaries is something that you need to practice. And I think you coming out with a workbook is so appropriate because mm-hmm. it's not something you can just read because it still stays in your head. Yes. You know, yeah, I, everyone knows boundaries are important. But until you actually sit down, use these phrases, fill out all the exercises, it makes you feel like, oh, actually, I have practiced them in a smaller setting. Now I'm like ready to go out. Could you just give some words of encouragement to all the people pleasers out there that are too scared to have their boundaries, you know, to establish their boundaries because they're worried they're not going to get liked or they're going to lose friends? Yes. I'm going to encourage you to start with lower priority people. So it's easier to not start with your partner or like your mother, right? Start or your boss. Like, or your boss, right? Let's I'm start. not coming on Saturday. Exactly. Sorry. And not sorry, not sorry, yeah. basically. Yeah. <laughs> but let's start with just sending back the salad if the salad isn't the one you ordered, mm. right? As a people pleaser, most of the time, you're just like, it's fine. I'll just eat it. Like start really thinking about how, how you feel, what you think, what you want, matters and it has to matter to you more than what anyone else wants thinks or feels i love the example of the salad because i feel like i i'm the kind of person that would always send back the salad but sometimes you sit at a table with people like you're being so difficult i feel embarrassed i feel embarrassed you are so codependent man you feel embarrassed because i sent back my salad wow yeah eat eat your burger relax like (laughs) no (laughs) but it happens right like we just had dinner uh in bali like literally three days ago and we got steak that was completely cold with cold fries and the two people that were eating this were like we're fine we don't want to make it an issue blah blah blah. and i'm thinking like no man i'm like i'm like but it doesn't taste good no it doesn't but i want to be a difficult one i'm thinking the restaurant needs to know i was like (laughs) i was the one i was like i went to the manager i was like it's fine and we're happy to pay but you think i think you should know that you're serving cold food because i as a business owner i need to know everything so when customers it happens like you know I don't have control, for example, of my supplements. They're being made for the manufacturer. They yeah. get shipped to the client. I don't open every single box. Right. So when someone sent me the box, I'm like, thank you so much. I need to know these things instead yes. of just like not letting me know because that way we, I can fix the issue. Right. So I love feedback. So as a business owner, I'm like, bring it on. You know, I'm the first one to go. And she's like, oh, thank you so much for letting me know. But it's funny that that's codependency. Anyway, sorry. I just- it is. All right. I have, I have a gift for you people. So you guys can go to um, boundaries.me forward slash Aggie and you will get, it is about codependency. Perfect. So it's about a 20 minute video that I did. And there's a whole entire um, PDF download that goes with it, which will help you sort of decipher where you are sort of on the codependency scale Ooh, and where you need help. And I give you help in there too. Oh, amazing. Because I think it's just being brutally honest with yourself about where you are on the scale is also very helpful. Would you send the salad basically or not? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is the question. That's like a good scale. Exactly. Um, So Terry, where can we find you apart from the book? Any sort of offerings that you have that you feel like you would like to share with my audience? Yeah, very exciting. I have a mastermind that I really love called Flourish, which starts in January. So we'll be talking about that starting in November, which is in a few days. So um, that's one thing. It's a small group, probably 12 to 15 women. Oh, wow. But we spend a year together, and it's extremely transformational. So it's for business owners. It's entrepreneurs, but it's also psychologically based, obviously, because I'm a therapist. Wow. So it's both. It's like mind, body, soul, psyche. Beautiful. Yeah. So it's it's so beautiful to have like a, almost like a sisterhood where you can – 
help each other flourish and witness each other, not only in a one-on-one setting, but you can do it in a group setting. And the group is everything. Like there's a lot of women who have not had an experience in life of how powerful female yeah. friendship is yeah, and sisterhood sure. is where they we know the opposite the sister won't right like yeah every exactly. mean comment that i have gotten had like the truly mean has come from a woman not a mm. man right so that's the experience we have so i love opportunities for women to come together and and truly truly support each other and then also have fun we're doing yeah. we're doing a meetup in person in paris and in mexico so wow. there's also adventure and travel involved it's awesome so that's flourish that's on your website that's or? flourish it will yes it will they can they can see it yeah. i think there's a wait list right now because then they have to they have to um apply to do yeah. it and then we have boundary boot camp coming up and we've got real love revolution coming up so just go on my website terrycole.com and you'll see the offerings and basically where i'm gonna be and I also hang out most of the time on Instagram. So if you want to find me. I love following me, you. I love following you too. <laughs> I want, I want, we want, we're sharing information, right? Yeah. Your, yeah. your uh, trip to the Maldives, I have to say, I was like, oh my God, that is a dream with your mom. Mm, she loved it. So of course she yeah. <laughs> What was that to love? <laughs> that was truly, truly special. But thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate you sharing everything. I feel super inspired to And I don't want to say that you have given us permission to have boundaries, but thank you for making us realize as women watching this that it's okay to have boundaries and give ourselves permission to have boundaries. Yes, please. Well, you're welcome. I'm so grateful that we got to do it in person. Let's do it again. Yes, thank you. Sure. Thank you, guys. See ya.